Welcome to Hillside Baptist Chapel's weekly Bible study. Please join Dr. Steve Wood every week where we can all collectively grasp a better understanding of God through His Word. This podcast will be published every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Contact information is as follows. Dr. Steve Wood, Pastor, phone or message at 6438-6541, email at Steve rwood002 at gmail.com. Prayer requests can be sent directly to hbcprayerlist2020 at gmail.com. Good evening, everybody. Hey, we're so glad that you're joining us for our Wednesday evening podcast, and uh, we're going to be getting into that right now. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity to meet together in our homes to be able to listen to a podcast. Father, we know that it'll be better when we're able to meet in our church, and we look forward to that happening maybe real soon. But we ask your blessings on each one that's listening to our podcast tonight, and help us to be refreshed in the middle of the week. Help us to be ready to do your will. And again, Father, thank you for blessing us, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight I'm going to be talking about real hope for lasting change. And I'm going to be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, as we continue our study in the book of 1 Corinthians. Here the Apostle Paul says, Don't you know that, the unrighteous, that unrighteousness will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or anyone practicing homosexuality. No thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit of of our God. As we think about that for just a moment, many people might read that and say, hey, if an individual is saved and then they go back and sin and they become sexually immoral or they do some other thing, then they lose their salvation. No, that's not what God is talking about. The most important part of this text is the first phrase. And some of you used to be like this. In these nine words, we find the entire Christian faith, the effective power of all that we believe is summed up in these few words. Christianity is supremely a religion of conversion. We believe, we trust. Everything we say and everything we believe is built upon one foundation and this premise. You don't have to stay the way that you are. 
your life can be radically changed by God. Conversion is a miracle. It happens when the life of God intersects with the human personality. And once God enters the picture, your life will never be the same again. Until then, you may be religious. You may be a, a very good person. You may even obey the rules. But you have not been converted. You haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That's the difference. Religion is one thing. Conversion is something else entirely. It's the conversion that matters. An individual turning from where they are. You see, it says, this some of you were. You, you were like that. You were that kind of person. But now you're changed. But now you're a child of God. There's another way to say it. Conversion is the miracle whereby God changes the tenses of your life. This is what you were. Now, this is what you are. Those who know Jesus Christ believe that Christ did that. We believe that as Jesus died on the cross, He died for our sins. And we're able then to turn from our sins and turn to Him and receive the salvation that He offers. There are seven new things. As I pondered the possibility of a deep change in a person's heart, I did a little Bible study of the word new. That's an amazing study, by the way. Just take a concordance and see how many times the Bible tells us about something new. Promises to do so, uh, God promises to do something new or to make something new. As an example, here are seven, and by no means is this an exhaustive list of them. But notice these things. In Psalm 40, verse 3, it says, He gives us a new song. Well, that's appropriate that it's in the Psalms that He tells us that He gives us a new song. Then Isaiah 62, verse 2 says He gives us a new name. Ezekiel 36, 26 says He gives us a new heart. Romans 6, 4 says that He gives us a new life. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says he gives us a new beginning. Ephesians 4 verse 24 says he gives us a new self. And 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 says he gives us new birth. God specializes in making things new. Conversion is the ultimate extreme makeover, if you will. If God is willing to change people like this, 
Why do they stay the way they are? Well, there's several different reasons, perhaps. But the bottom line may be fear. People fear change. Because they have become comfortable, if not entirely happy, with the way that they are. And they fear failure because they have tried and failed to change so many times, of course, apart from the Lord, but they've tried to change and it's failed. Often they fear change because what their families and friends might say. Perhaps they've grown used to thinking or even living in a certain way. And they think that they would be bothered and even threatened if they suddenly became something new, something different. We must accept God's judgment. Verses 9 and 10 in this reading begins with a blanket statement regarding those who go to heaven. It says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? If we don't know this, we should. God and sin are fundamentally incompatible. If you could show up at the gates of heaven bearing your own sins, you wouldn't get in. The term unrighteous here in our scriptures don't refer to a particular evil class of sinners. It refers to anyone who sins. And their sins are not covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Heaven is for those who have been made righteous through Jesus. Lest we be understood on this point, Paul gives a list of ten different groups of sinners that will be excluded from heaven. This list, of course, is not exhaustive either, as I mentioned about the other. We could name many other things, but notice he says sexually immoral. This is a broad term that covers all forms of sexual sins. Idolaters, those who worship false gods. Adulterers, those who break the marriage vow. Homosexual offenders, refers to those who practice homosexual acts. Thieves, taking what's not yours. Greedy, making money and the things that money can buy as the center of your life. Drunkard, being controlled by alcohol. Verbal abusers, the Greek term refers to those who abuse others through speech. Swindlers, those who commit extortion and blackmail. Now, in that list, we could talk on and on about the different things that individuals do who are in that category, that particular sin. 
these sins are typical of what you found in ancient Corinth. The Corinthian believers would react to this list by saying, yes, that's exactly what I used to be. Corinth had a reputation for extreme immorality. Even though the pagans who coined the, uh, the verb to Corinthianize were describing a particular evil situation, not a particular sin. And it could have been easy for the Christians in Corinth to see the lives of these that around them that were just what Jesus is describing here through the Apostle Paul. These sins are common today as well. I dare say you can find all of them in Panama City, in David, in Boquete, in all of Panama and all of the world. Because that's just who people are without Christ. Sin still reigns in the human heart. And apart from God's grace, there's no sin we might not commit. These sins are mostly social sins. And as we look at this, they were not private or personal matters. All of them touch and hurt people around them, some directly, some indirectly. And these are sins of self-gratification and self-indulgence. We steal because we think we should have what someone else has. We swindle to get what we cannot fairly obtain on our own. We violate God's standards in several behaviors because we are driven by that kind of idea, whether it's sexuality or one of these other sins that we've mentioned. God's judgment on people who are like this is clear. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. They want to go to heaven. Swindlers want, abusers want, homosexuals want, adulterers, thieves, drunkards, immoral people. And why should they? Heaven is not for people who live in sin. Heaven is for people who have been forgiven of their sins. That's the real difference here. Paul does not mean that a Christian cannot commit one of these sins. Christians can and are guilty of all of these different things even after we're saved. But that's not our manner of life. That's not who we are deep down. That's not who God has made us to be. And the first step of being healed is accepting God's righteous judgment on our sins. God says, you're sinners, deserving of hell, under condemnation, facing eternal death, and without hope in this world. Do you agree with God's judgment? Or do you want to argue with it? 
As long as you argue with God, you cannot accept His forgiveness and become a changed person, become a new individual. We must believe in God's power to do that. In some way, this is harder than the first step. As difficult as it is to accept that you're a sinner deserving judgment, it's much harder for many people to truly believe in God's power to change them. That's why the first phrase in verse 11 is so critical. The Apostle Paul reminds the Corinthians that God had radically changed their tents. Once some of them were drunkards, but not anymore. Once some of them were adulterers, but not anymore. Abusers, swindlers, homosexual, all of these things that are mentioned, but not anymore. Here's the truth that is both liberating and sobering. Not everyone will be changed. But everyone could be changed. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16 Now some will choose to live in their sins. They're going to rebel at the thought of change. Others simply will not believe that they can be changed. And so they stay the way they are. The reason why people don't change are as varied as humanity itself. But it's true that not everyone who hears the gospel are going to be changed by that gospel. Not everyone who knows about Jesus Christ are going to accept Him as their personal Savior. But everybody could be saved. The blood of Jesus Christ has more than enough power to save the whole world. No one who comes to Him will ever be turned away. There is no sin beyond the reach of God's grace. This is our great hope. The reason that we send missionaries to India, Japan, Nigeria, Costa Rica, maybe, France, and every other nation under the earth, on the earth. Everyone could be saved. And the message those missionaries have is that individuals need to come to Christ for His salvation. They need to believe. God is able to save completely. He's able to save forever those that come to Him through Christ. Many places in the Scriptures we can find that, but... God wants those that hear the message to trust and believe. In conclusion tonight, let me mention three final statements. Real change is possible. Do people want it? Real change is available. 
Will people reach out and take it? Real change is radical. It'll change you from who you were to who God wants you to be. As you hear this message tonight, take a moment to think about your own life. And maybe you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Think about where He's brought you from. But maybe you know people that need this message. And they need that change. Pray for them right now. And you can be an influence in their lives to help them understand what they need to do that they might have this salvation. Notice in the scriptures here, he says we are washed, we are sanctified, we are justified. This is the real hope the scriptures give us. But you'll never know that hope. You'll never know that change. You'll never know that salvation until you reach out and you trust him. Don't take my word for it. Go back to the scriptures. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He will abundantly pardon. He will not turn you away. Your life can change right now. Father, thank you for the opportunity to open your word tonight. And Father, I pray that if there are those that need to make a change in their lives, they will. And help us as your people that we will be examples before others that will help them come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and be saved. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stay tuned for a short weekly editorial with Face to Face with Dr. Fred. A friend of mine named Charles Moore that I met in California sent me this 10 years ago and I kept it. I want to share it with you today. The subject is Send the Sons to Israel. A Jewish father was concerned that his son, who was about a year away from his bar mitzvah, but was sorely lacking in the knowledge of his Jewish faith. To remedy this, he sent his son to Israel to experience his heritage. A year later, the young man returned home. Father, thank you for sending me to the land of our fathers, the son said. It was wonderful and enlightening. However, I must confess that while in Israel, I converted to Christianity. Obey, replied the father. What have I done? So in tradition of the patriarchs, he went to his best friend and sought advice and solace. It is amazing you should come to me, stated his friend. I, too, sent my son to Israel, and he returned a Christian. So in the in tradition and so forth, and they prayed about it, they said, hey, they went to the rabbi. It is amazing that you should come to me, stated the rabbi. I, too, sent my son to Israel, and he returned a Christian. What is happening to our sons? Brothers, we must take this to God. 
they all fell to their knees and began to wail and pour out their hearts to the Almighty. As they prayed, the clouds above opened and a mighty voice stated, Amazing that you should come to me. I too sent my son to Israel. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. This concludes HBC's weekly Bible study. Please join us every Wednesday for Bible study at 7 p.m. Thank you and God bless.